Our sermon text today is Mark 2, 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could, got, could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let him down on the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. How can, who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is God's word. All right, preschoolers making your way out with your teachers. Lucas, I told you. Yeah, I told you. Lucas is either up here doing something or he's going to the preschool room. Um, Lucas is a faithful servant. Uh, yeah, if you haven't already, I want to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Um, Easter, as I said earlier, is a few weeks away. It's, um, it's coming. Easter is and should be a day in the life of the church that we look forward to, that we anticipate. And I think sometimes in churches like ours where we emphasize the resurrection of Jesus every single week, we are prone to minimize um, Easter and, and other at Christmas. And it's like, no, we, we celebrate Jesus every week. We're not waiting for Christmas. We're not waiting for Easter. And so we're prone to not take advantage of this natural season in the church. Whenever Easter comes, we will have a, a Good Friday service that Friday before. So, so we are essentially beginning this morning our journey toward the cross as we're going to be looking at various passages in the Gospels. Now, when Easter comes, it is, it is the day where the church has historically um, and specifically worldwide recognized the death and the resurrection in particular of Jesus. And we rejoice in this historic reality that Jesus of Nazareth died and was raised for our salvation. Our entire faith depends on Easter Sunday. It depends on the resurrection. And so even though we do t technically celebrate the resurrection every Sunday, the Easter season is a yearly sign, a yearly signpost that reminds us that we have been raised with Christ, that we have new life in him, that our bodies, though they fade away now, will one day be raised to imperishable glory, and that we have a hope that not even the darkest day or the darkest circumstance can actually touch. Easter hope really is unlike any other hope. And we rejoice in what Jesus has done for us in a very special way on Easter. And that's coming a few weeks away. But the joy that we have in Christ's death and resurrection, it is only felt, only felt when we see 
and we feel our need for him. News of a coming Savior is really only good news for those who know and feel their need to be rescued. If you don't know or feel that you need a rescuer, you're not going to long for, pray for, hope in, and rejoice in the coming of that rescuer. So I think it will be helpful. And and actually, I think it's going to be really necessary as we do journey toward Good Friday and Easter Sunday to fix our hearts and our minds on Jesus. And to do that in a really particular way. I want us over the next few weeks, we're starting a new sermon series today, I want us over the next few weeks to focus our attention on Jesus in such a way that reminds us and puts before us our deep and desperate need for him. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend some time in some stories in the Gospels looking at various questions that Jesus asked. He asked all kinds of questions throughout the Gospels, but he asked a few in particular questions during his earthly ministry that stretch through the centuries, stretch across time, and confront us head on today. Some of the most important questions in the world. And today we're beginning with the first question that Jesus asked in the first Gospel account that was written. He asked it here. We, uh, Paige read it for us. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus encounters a paralytic who is in need of healing, physical healing. And Jesus, when he's met with this paralytic, he shocks the world. He shocks the room, throws everyone off. When instead of initially healing the paralytic, he forgives him of his sin. And so then in response to accusations of blasphemy, Jesus then asks this really strange question. And he does so to help us see who he truly is and what he has truly come to do. So we're going to walk through the story this morning and hopefully see three things that will help us both feel our need for Jesus and see how Jesus has come to meet our deepest need. Three points that stand out in this story. Number one, a desperate need. Number two, a surprising cure. And number three, a strange question. We're going to walk through the passage, those three things, a desperate need, a surprising cure, and a strange question. Well, the first thing we see is a desperate need. Um, Look with me in Mark 2, verses 1 through 4. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. You see, before it's about anything else, before it's about anything else, This story in Mark's gospel is a story of desperation. It's a story of desperation before it's a story about healing and before it's a story about forgiveness. It's a story of desperation. And I have a feeling that most of us do not like feeling desperate. And we don't even like feeling desperate before God. We want to feel like we have everything all together, that our lives are just as they should be, 
everything's fine. Maybe even especially if you're a Christian, you don't want to, to be a witness to other people that now that you're following Jesus, your life is really bad and really hard and, and you struggle with, with anxiety and depression and, and you know, you have, you have trouble in your relationships. If you were a really good Christian, you wouldn't have all of these struggles. So even people who believe in Jesus, we don't want to feel desperate and we don't want to even come before God with, with desperation. But, but these people who come to Jesus, they come out of a, a heart of desperation. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he has already attained tremendous notoriety and fame. The, the, he's been out praying uh, with his disciples and he, he comes back and as he comes back to Capernaum. He comes back home. Some people debate, is this Jesus' home? Is this somebody else's home? It doesn't matter. This is the place that he was staying. And when he gets there, I mean, the crowds are just filling the room. And they've come to hear Jesus teach and they've come to hear or, or to experience Jesus' healing. And, and we have everyone in society in this home. You have the most prominent religious leaders who are, who are here gathered in the front rows. And then you have people who are on the margins of society and they're all flocking to hear him teach and they, they want to see him heal. And some of them came to receive healing from Jesus. Jesus was, I mean, he was a rock star. And, and the crowd that had gathered around his home was so massive that you could barely even move. And so, so we learn here that while Jesus was teaching, there were these four men who were, who were carrying a paralytic, a man who was paralyzed from head to toe, completely unable to move. He's not even able to limp in. They have to pick him up. In order for this man to get anywhere, he had to be carried and so four of his friends, they, they believe deep in their hearts that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus can heal their friend from this affliction. And so they, they want to bring him to Jesus. But the crowd, the crowd was so large. And it also tells us that they were not close to the front. It's not, it's not as if they were in the front. They were, they were at the very back. They were at the very back and they had this man and they cannot make their way in. They're carrying him. They're trying to find a way to get close to Jesus and they cannot move. We were in Disney World a couple weeks ago. I imagine it was a lot like that. You cannot move in certain areas. You just have to wait. It's, it's bizarre. It's crazy. Um, but that, that's what this was like. And so they can't make any ground. And what we see next is so remarkable. And Mark is not the, <laughs> he's not the greatest storyteller. He doesn't give us tons of details. He just kind of takes us through it really quickly. And so it's, it's easy to miss what's really happening here. They didn't wait for the crowd to disperse. They didn't wait. They didn't say, oh man, we'll, we'll get to him later. It's too, too busy. Too busy, too many people. We're trying to get in. We can't. Let's just chill out out here. Let Jesus finish teaching. And maybe eventually people have to go home, you know, so we'll let people go home and then we'll, we'll go to see Jesus. No, they didn't wait. And they didn't give up. They didn't give up and go home and just say, man, we tried. We tried our best. We tried to get you to Jesus. We think he could heal you. You know, I don't know. Maybe we'll find something else, but we, we just can't get to him. No, they don't give up. They needed to get their friend to Jesus, and they needed to get him to Jesus now. And so they carry him. They pick him up, and they take him around the side of the house. And, and the way that the homes work, there, there would have been a staircase around the side of the house. And so they take him up the staircase on top of the roof, okay? So there's a flat rooftop, and they take him around the side of the house. They take him up the steps to, the, to this flat rooftop. And then, yes, they really did this. 
They unroofed the roof. That's a literal translation. They unroofed, they, they took the roof from, from the, the top of the house. Okay, and so listen, you, you have got to picture this. The, the roofs at this time, the way that they were made, they, they, they were made of like wood beams that were, that were cross-laid with, with all these branches and they were packed really thick with grass and with, with mud and clay. And so you could literally walk on top of, of the roof and it'd be no problem. But something else you can do with grass and mud and clay is what? Our kids do it all the time. What can you do? You can dig. You can dig. And so when it says that they removed the roof, I've always just kind of pictured it as like, well, there was an, an opening or maybe a hatch or something. They just lifted it up and they just calmly lifted them in. No, these men are digging a hole out of this roof. And so imagine you're in the house, you're Jesus and you're in the house and you're teaching and the religious leaders are there, the, the who's who are in the front there to hear this, this really, really interesting and polarizing figure teach. And all of a sudden you're sitting there and just, you know, dirt starts like falling from the roof on your head. And, and Jesus, it just gets more and more. And then, then a, you know, a light starts to shine in because there's a hole, what is going on? And they literally dig a hole big enough so that they can lower suspend their friend from the roof down just to get him close to Jesus. Can you see this playing out? Listen, they didn't care that dirt was filling the room. They didn't care they were vandalizing a stranger's home. They were willing to take every consequence that would come from damaging property. Why? By any means necessary, they had to get their friend to Jesus. It didn't matter. This is, this is desperation. And when I've read this story in the past, I, I've always just been inspired by the love of these men for their friends. And I've always taken from this, and this isn't a bad takeaway from this. This is how I should feel about my lost friends. This is, this is how I should feel about them. By any means necessary, I'm going to get them to Jesus. And we should feel that way. And to be inspired by their love for this man is, is a great takeaway. And I've also been really challenged by their faith. I mean, they have an all-out faith in Jesus. This isn't a, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I mean, I'm not going to take it too seriously. I'm not going to take it too far. It's like, no, they were willing to damage someone else's home in order to get their friend to Jesus because they believed that much that Jesus was capable of healing them. And it's fine to be challenged by their faith. I, I, I really am. But something we need to point out today is their desperation. Their desperation. The sick man, the paralytic in this story, he is so sick that he can't move at all. Desperation. And the sick in this culture, in this time, they were so marginalized in society. You notice, no one is accommodating for him. There's no handicap parking, you know. Um, no, no one is saying, you know, like the, I, the commercials. I forget what it what it is. I've seen the commercials where you have the the veteran who comes in the the restaurant and the guy in line's like, hey, you come in front of me, you know. And it's like the respect that's shown, or you know, there's someone who's older who's standing on a bus and the the young guy gets up so she can sit down. No, there's none of that. None of that. This guy is sick. It's like, hey, stay away from me. Actually, if you get too close, I may be unclean if I touch you. They were on the margins of society. And no one is giving up their place to listen to Jesus for this paralytic. And then notice the measures that they take. These are desperate measures. Climbing a roof, damaging a stranger's home, lowering a sick and unwanted man into a crowded room with religious leaders who are not overly friendly to people like paralytics. 
And then this is contrasted with those who are closest to Jesus in the crowd. The religious leaders are the ones who have front row seats. They, because they're the ones that Jesus is going to interact with. They're right there. They're not at the back. They're not on the outside. They're not having to climb around. They're right there in the front. The prominent ones, the ones who are most apparently holy, they were the ones who deserved in their minds to be closest to such a transformative figure like Jesus. And because of their desperation, these friends and this paralytic for Jesus and their faith in him, these friends, they were able to bring an outcast even closer than the religious leaders. Listen, as you read the Gospels, I would challenge you to do it. You read through the Gospels. There are really only two kinds of people who come to Jesus. As you're reading the stories and you read the accounts, two kinds of people that come to Jesus. People who are self-righteous before Jesus and they try to trap him or they try to evaluate him and see if he meets their standard. They're good. They've got it all together. Those types of people. And how does Jesus respond to them? Judgment. Rejection. I did not come for you. Then there are other types of people who come to Jesus. And all of them are desperate. They're desperate for him. And this is an important lesson for us. Anyone who receives healing and grace and mercy from Jesus is someone who brings him their desperation and their weakness. Not their strength. Not their good deeds. The men in our story today are not coming to Jesus to perform for him or to impress him. They have nothing to offer but their need. What can this paralytic offer Jesus? What a a wonderful picture of how we should approach him. What can the paralytic do for God? He can't move. He can't can't even get to where Jesus is without people physically picking him up and taking him to them. What can he offer? What can he bring to the table except his need? He is obviously physically debilitated and he would have been considered spiritually bankrupt because a lot of people at this time linked disabilities like this with sin. And so the paralytic comes empty-handed to Jesus. And so must we. That is how we must approach Jesus, empty-handed. This is us. We are the weak ones. We are sinful. We are failures. We are outcasts. And we are the ones who do not deserve to be near someone like Jesus. And yet, that's exactly why we need him. We need him more than we need anything else. And so why... Do we feel like we need to come to Jesus with anything other than our failures, our sickness, our weakness, our desperation? Why do we feel like even even after years and years of walking with Jesus, why do we feel that we can only approach him in prayer when we are living lives of holiness? And if we are living lives of sin, we cannot approach him in prayer. Why do we feel that way sometimes? Why don't we run to Jesus when we sin? Why do we run from him? It's because we don't like feeling this way. We do everything we can in our lives to avoid desperation. We are ashamed of our weakness and our failures. And we don't want to admit inner struggles that we have. We want to appear strong, sufficient, capable, and holy. 
And that's because we're being discipled that way in this world. Our world does not reward weakness or insufficiency. But life in God's kingdom, Jesus is showing us right here, is so very different. Life in the kingdom does not work the way life in the world works. You can't even enter God's kingdom unless you recognize that you are broken and you can't fix yourself. It's required. So until, like the friends of the paralytic, you reach a point of desperation for Jesus, you will never do what they did in coming to him. The gospel begins with a realization of our desperate need for Jesus. Do you know that you are sick? And do you know that you are desperate for Jesus to heal you? That's where we begin with desperation. But we move really quickly to a really surprising cure for the problem that that we're presented with. What's the problem that we're presented with here? A man who is paralyzed. And why do his friends bring him to Jesus? Not for a lesson. not, Not for a Bible story. They didn't come to hear the preaching. They lowered him to Jesus. They take these desperate measures because they want the friend to be healed. That's what they're there for. Physical healing. So that he could get up and move. So these friends, they they bring their their, their, uh, paralytic friend to Jesus. They dig through a roof. They lower their friend right at his feet. And now they're finally here. They made it. And the sermon stops. Because I'm assuming that's what I would do if someone started digging through the roof up here. And they lowered a person down to the ground. I'm pretty sure I would stop preaching. If I didn't, someone please stop me. (laughs) Okay. Um, But that's what happens. And Jesus is captivated. He's moved by the faith of these desperate men. Look look at verse 5 with me. Verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Everyone there is expecting Jesus to heal this man. Everyone. As soon as the paralytic is present, everyone in the room, the whole crowd, they're like, Man, we're getting, we are getting banged for our bunk, buck here. Are you kidding me? We came to hear Jesus teach. We're going to get to hear him teach and see him heal. What an opportunity. This is amazing. But Jesus does something that no one saw coming. No one. <clears throat> I mean, we can safely say that. Not the religious leaders, not the, not the paralytic, and not his friends. No one in the room expected to hear from Jesus what he says. He sees their faith, and he looks at the paralytic, and he says... Son, or literally, child, your sins are forgiven. What? The paralytic is there to be healed, and he receives forgiveness. The crowd expects Jesus to lean down and touch him and heal this man, but instead he leans down and speaks a word of forgiveness over him. What's, what's going on here? Well, <clears throat> It's, it's almost like Jesus as a physician is presented with a man who thinks he only has the flu. And he knows he has the flu, and he has the flu. And he has the flu, but there's a further diagnosis that comes, and he, and he also has cancer. And, and it's almost like Jesus is saying, yeah, I'll deal with the flu, but there's a deeper issue at hand we have to deal with first. Jesus goes deeper. He diagnoses a deeper problem. And and how how does he do this? And how does he do this with each of us? Well, when Jesus looks down on this man, I mean, Mark calls him a paralytic. That's a label, right? We don't know his name. Like, there's the paralytic. 
And when Jesus looks on this man, he doesn't see a paralytic. He sees a whole person. This is so beautiful. He doesn't just see this this man's limp arms and legs. He sees his heart too. He doesn't just see a suffering body. He sees a suffering soul. Jesus sees a whole person who is in need of an even deeper healing. And the paralytic's deepest problem was not his paralysis. It was his sin. And his deepest need was for a healing of the heart which comes through forgiveness. And I think we would all agree that sin is a worse issue than physical sickness. And physical sickness may even just be a symptom of sin being in the world or living in a a fallen world. But let's think about it for a second. Why is his deepest need not physical healing, but inner healing? Why is his deepest need forgiveness? It's, It's a little surprising and jarring to see Jesus say this. The man is sick, he's laying here, your sins are forgiven. Why forgiveness? Why, why are we talking about forgiveness here? Well, it's because every other need we have, every other need we have is surface level compared to our need for forgiveness. And, and the danger for us is that when a surface level need is met, oh, we are so prone to feel like everything is finally okay. We have tons of what we can call surface level needs, and it sounds harsh. It doesn't, I don't intend to minimize the the other needs that we have. Compared to forgiveness, it's it's surface level. But it's just because forgiveness is so deep. The sin is so deep in our hearts. But what, what happens when we have something we really want, a desire that we have, whether it's good or, or not so good, um, a, a problem that we have that we need solved, when that thing that we're wanting so much is finally ours, you know what it feels like. It's like, oh, yes, finally, finally, I'm okay. Can you imagine this paralytic? And, and I, again, I don't, I don't mean to minimize his, his pain and his suffering. It's real. But can you imagine what he must have been thinking every single day of his life? And his friends were obviously thinking this. If only I could be healed. If only I could receive physical healing. Can you imagine my life if I could walk? And he could, he could be putting his entire stock, his entire identity in being able to move in physical healing. And Jesus could have just healed this man and moved on. But on some level, the paralytic and his friends must have believed that if he could only be healed, if he could only move and walk, then he could finally be happy. Paralysis was a problem, but his deepest problem was the sin in his heart that would lead him to center his life on anything but God. Even something as noble and good and reasonable as physical healing. And we're the exact same way. We are all, in one way or another, building our lives on something other than Jesus. It could be our careers. It could be wanting to be well-known or well-thought-of, our reputation. It could be something as good as parenting, our role as moms and dads. It could be a relationship. And we think, if only God would give me this. And I think you need to, to try to name whatever that thing is. If only he would give me this. Then, 
my life would finally matter. Then I would finally matter. Then happiness would be mine. It's kind of a form of of self-righteousness or self-justification when our contentment in life is dependent on our circumstances or our performance. Look what I have. Look what I bring to the table. Look what I have done. And our hearts are so sick. And this is what Jesus is wanting to point out here. That we can turn good desires, even some of our prayers, into saviors. And we run to those desires as if if we had them, we would finally be saved. We would be justified. Our existence would finally mean something. We're even prone to use the church or spiritual disciplines like Bible reading or prayer as, as a kind of religious boost to get out of a rut that we're in so that we can finally get back to saving ourselves. But the truth is that there is nothing we have and nothing we do that can save us from this cycle of sin. We could have everything we want in this life and still feel empty. Still feel empty. Jesus has come not to give you every desire of your heart, but to fix your heart through the gift of forgiveness. If we, like the paralytic, are to be truly healed of what ails us most, we must be healed, not just physically, but deep down in our hearts. We must be forgiven of our sin. Forgiveness reconciles us to God. It repairs the most powerful relationship that we could ever have. Forgiveness grants us peace with God. And when you are at peace with God and you have his approval and his love and you are in a relationship with him, then building your life on other relationships and putting them at the center and experiencing the brokenness and failures of them will not crush you in the same way. Forgiveness sets us free from guilt. It helps us to stop basing our happiness and our contentment in life on our circumstances or on our performance. We matter deeply, not through what we do, but because the eternal God of the universe says so in his forgiveness of our sins. This is what we receive when we come to Jesus. Not always the fulfillment of a surface level desire. He may not answer that prayer you've been praying the way that you want him to. He may not give you that good desire in your heart. He may not give it to you. What he's telling us here is that you do not ultimately need it. He hears our cries and he cares and he responds in a surprising way child. Your sins are forgiven. Your heart is healed. And I am here to make you whole. This is what Jesus sees when he looks down on us. He sees a whole person. Not just a person who's struggling with this issue or not a label. He sees a whole person. And when we bring our need to him, he sees our need, cares, but then he goes deeper. Down to the root of our heart And Jesus does not just meet our surface level needs while ignoring our deeper needs. In the end, this story, which is about healing, is more about forgiveness. There's a deeper need hiding beneath the surface that Jesus has come to meet. Which leads us to this really strange question that Jesus asks. 
It's so strange. It's puzzling. I went through it so much. I was like, okay, here's my goal. As I study this, I want to present one answer on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, here's the question. Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And I'm one answer. And as I was working through it, I was like, well, I mean, you could see it this way and you could see it that way, but really you could see it that way. So I have three answers for you, okay? We're going to look at three answers. Here's, Here's what happens. The scene takes a strange shift. So between the declaration of forgiveness and the eventual physical healing of the paralytic, there are religious leaders that have their VIP passes out to to hear Jesus are on the front row and they start questioning him in their hearts, which by the way, on its own is remarkable. The only reason we know this is because Jesus knew it. They didn't say anything out loud. Okay, the religious leaders, they, they got into arguments with Jesus all the time, but they didn't say anything out loud here. And Jesus knew exactly what was in their hearts. Look look with me, starting in verse 6. So after he says, your sins are forgiven, uh, Mark tells us, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. The religious leaders start to think about what Jesus is really saying when he said, your sins are forgiven. And they actually understand Jesus pretty well. They understand what Jesus is actually saying. And they're like, why is he talking like this? It's almost like he is standing in the place of God. It's kind of like he is saying that he is God. That's blasphemy. Humans cannot stand in the place of God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who does this man think he is? You see, by forgiving the paralytic's sin, Jesus had stepped into a role that was reserved for God and for God alone. And when humans profess to do what only God can do, it is blasphemy. So the religious leaders, they are outraged. They, 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 uh, they knew that Jesus was proclaiming to have the authority of God himself, to be God. But obviously they didn't believe him. And at this point, they probably just took him for an absolute maniac, a lunatic, who's going around saying that he can forgive sins, knowing that he can't because he's not God. And so Jesus, he knows all of this in his heart. He perceives all of this, and he asks them a question, which is easier. And then Jesus followed up forgiveness with healing. And he says, So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, the paralytic, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately the paralytic was healed. You see, Jesus challenges these religious leaders with a question which is easier. And there are three ways that we can answer that question. And each way we answer it allows us to see something about who Jesus is and what he came to do. Now, the first two ways of answering this question, they help us see who Jesus truly is. Jesus is saying something about his identity through this question. So, okay, possible answer number one, which is easier? 
Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And the first answer is neither. Neither of the two was easier. And this is from the perspective of Jesus as God. You see, affecting both forgiveness and healing, it was equally impossible for human beings and equally possible for God. So if the paralytic can only be healed and only be forgiven by God alone, what is Jesus showing us by doing both? He's wanting everyone there to see, I am God. I am. And you're charging me, you're thinking that I'm blaspheming because I said your sins are forgiven, but I'm going to heal this man too. Both acts are impossible with man, but possible only with God. And so neither, neither is easier because only God can do it. Okay, here's a different perspective. We could answer and we could say, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. And this would have been the common understanding of everybody in the room. The religious leaders would have seen it this way. Uh, Everyone in the crowd would have seen it this way. Because to the religious leaders, it's obviously easier to make the statement about forgiveness. Because you can't can't be proven wrong. You know, not obviously. If If I look to you and I say, your sins are forgiven, and I just walk off. I mean, there's no evidence that I'm wrong in that. Jesus can sit there and claim he's God all day long by saying, hey, your sins are forgiven. And there's nothing there to confirm or validate or, or you know, prove him wrong. It's not obvious. So it's easy. Yeah, you can walk up and tell someone your sins are forgiven. It's easier for you to do that. But if you're going to say, get up and walk to someone who is paralyzed, we're going to find out within a couple minutes whether or not you have the power to do so, you know, because he's either going to get up and walk or he's going to keep laying there. So obviously it is harder to do that from a, a human's perspective. And honestly, the way that he uses this question, he's, he's using a question that we could call a lesser to greater argument. I read this in a commentary. A lesser to greater argument. I thought it was helpful. If someone can do the harder thing, in this case, physically heal someone, it will prove the easier thing, the forgiveness of sins. So he accomplishes both through his healing and then through the statement. It's easier, if it's easier to say your sins are forgiven and harder to say get up and walk, then Jesus is revealing the unbelief of the people and he's giving them a sign. He's he's giving them a sign to say, I actually do have the authority to forgive sins and I'm going to prove it through healing. Jesus is saying, "If if I can do what you view as harder, then you can see I have the authority to do what you view as easier. So the healing verified the claim to grant forgiveness. And just as surely as actual healing followed Jesus' statement, get up or rise, actual forgiveness resulted from his saying, your sins are forgiven. And this is the point that he's making. He, He did the miracle that they couldn't see or that they could see so that they could believe the miracle that they could not see. The crowds had gathered in this place to hear a powerful and insightful teacher. And some of them wanted to be healed. But at that time, that was the extent of their thoughts about Jesus. Great teacher, powerful healer. And I don't know what what your views on Jesus are right now, whether they're actually lining up with who Jesus is, but it's important for us during this season leading up to Easter to align our views about Jesus with who he actually says and proves himself to be. And make no mistake about it, Jesus is not just a great teacher and a powerful 
healer. He is God in human flesh. Now, the second way of answering this question, which is going to be my third answer. So those two ways, you could say neither is easier or it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. And that shows us that Jesus is in fact God in human flesh. The second way of answering Jesus' question helps us see what Jesus has actually come to do. There's one more way we can answer it. There's only one other option. And it's that it is actually easier to say get up and walk. Now the only way this works is if you do believe that Jesus is God. And from the perspective of God, it is easier to say get up and walk or rise, make your bed and walk. And this perspective has to include the rest of the gospel story. You have to take it all the way to the end. It is easier, or or is it easier for Jesus to heal the paralytic or to forgive his sin? Which is easier? For a human, saying your sins are forgiven is easier because you don't have to prove it. But for God, in all of his power, for God to say, get up and walk, that's effortless. What's it cost God to heal this man? Nothing. He has all the power. All all he requires is the inclination. If Jesus has the inclination to heal this man, he just says, hey, you're healed. And he's healed. From God's perspective, it is easier. It doesn't cost him anything. He speaks, and by his authority, as God in human flesh, the paralytic is healed. But... And hear me on this. For God to say your sins are forgiven, that is not easy because it will cost him everything. Forgiveness is always more costly. And in order for Jesus to truly forgive the paralytic, for that statement to be true and meaningful, he has to go to the cross. You see, Jesus... He can come into the world and he can heal it from all of its brokenness. He can make all things right. He can bring justice and he can bring righteousness to the land. He can end all suffering. But how can Jesus bring pure and perfect justice into the world without judging us? Because we are a part of this broken, forsaken place. We are desperate for Jesus as a Savior because we are sinners and we are broken and we are dark and we have rebelled against God. So yes, Jesus can bring worldwide healing, but in order for us to be healed along with it, in order for us to be forgiven and not judged, a price must be paid. That's the only way that Jesus as God can forgive us without losing his justice. And so it is much harder from this perspective for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven because of what such a statement requires of him. He must suffer and die. He must stand in the place of sinners. He must bear the curse of sin as he hangs on a tree. And I love the picture that we have of Jesus making his way toward the cross and how it parallels with what we find here in this story. The friends of this paralytic 
They carry him. They march him from the margins of society. They bring him to the feet of God himself. Jesus, on the other hand, he goes in the opposite direction. He leaves the center of the universe. He leaves the glory of heaven. And he descends into this fallen world, pursuing the margins. He, he comes And as he is making his way to the place of crucifixion and as he is nailed to a cross, unlike the preaching that's happening here in Mark 2, there, there is no word from God. The heavens have, have closed up and darkness fills the land. Now like the paralytic, Jesus is now hanging on the cross. He is the one who is vulnerable and weak and needy and He is the one who is hanging. And he is the one whose body is paralyzed. And more than that, as Jesus hangs on the cross, he bears our guilt and our sin on his shoulders so that he can turn to the paralytic and say, your sins are forgiven because of what I am here to do. By asking the religious leaders which is easier, Jesus is telling them and he's telling us that he can heal the paralytic today No problem. That's easy. But to forgive him and to forgive you and me, he has to lay down his life. So so how, how can Jesus end your suffering without ending you? By dying in your place for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus has accomplished your forgiveness. The healing of your discontent, broken, sinful heart through his death on the cross. And in the same way that he told the paralytic to get up and walk as proof that he can forgive sins, three days after his death, God the Father said to his son, rise, get up, and walk. The resurrection of Jesus is a sign to you that your sins, no matter how deeply rooted in your heart, can be actually, truly, finally forgiven. Jesus has the authority to forgive you. So let's follow the example of this paralytic and his friends. Let's see our desperate need for Jesus. Let's come to him in faith and receive from him more than you could ever hope or dream. Receive from him the forgiveness and healing your heart is longing for. Let me pray for us. Father, we're thankful for this word. We're thankful for this story this account, as we're able to look back through history, this moment in time when Jesus is presented with this paralytic, we are challenged by the desperation of the paralytic and his friends. Would you impress upon our hearts our desperate need for Jesus? And we marvel at how Jesus reveals himself, not just to be a gifted teacher or a supernatural healer, but that he is himself God in the flesh. And we're thankful that in order to offer us the forgiveness that he offers this paralytic, that he went to the cross and he died for our sins. And he was raised so that we know his offer of forgiveness stands. It is true and we can trust it. So Father, would you help us to be desperate for Jesus and to continue trusting those words that he spoke to the paralytic child, your sins are forgiven. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.